Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the Romans Empire Podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. Oh, man. Good vibes all around this episode, guys. I I, I think, mm-hmm. I have a feeling, just a slight hunch, this is going to be one of our happier episodes. Don't you think, Song? Yeah, man, it's been a happy day for me. I mean, for me, <laughs> to be honest, like... You know, I, I I love having these, you know, Monday matches because it's a later start and I get to, you know, not it's not a 4 a.m. thing where I'm going to have to miss it and watch the recording later. But uh, I was stupid me. I thought the match started at 12 o'clock. I woke up at 7 and I was like, oh, it's a little too early because I'm not I'm not working right now currently. And then I went back to sleep, woke up at like 1030 and uh you know, I'm just like, you know, checking my emails, checking things, what I miss. And then I look at, you know, my soccer score app and I see that it's already 1-0. And I'm like, huh? The game started at 10? I had no <laughs> idea. So I, t- I turned it on. Like, uh, I missed the whole Kai Havertz goal. I had no, I didn't even know that Kai Havertz was starting. And, uh, but I, I, I later rewatched the first half and, uh, just not, yeah, nothing but good things to say, honestly. Andreas, what, what did you think? I just feel vindicated. I just feel totally vindicated, and it, it does start oh. with the fact that, that Kai Havertz played so good in the middle of that front three. So I, I feel great. I've, I've been asking for that sort of experimental look. It looked great. The team as a whole played really well. I have zero complaints, honestly. Uh, mm. You know, you can complain that maybe Timo didn't get in the score sheet, but... It was a great game, and it's the perfect way to start off a week on a Monday with a Chelsea victory and, and a solid victory against Everton, who was pushing to to challenge us for that top four spot. It's funny. I, I totally didn't think of the the whole uh, Kai Havertz being at striker thing as a, as a thing that you called and you've been begging for for weeks, and then you got me on board, uh, and sh- shit, I mean, it looked it looked exactly as advertised by you andreas it was uh it was exactly what we wanted but let's let's run through the rest of the starting 11 um so um mending goal a similar back three dave christensen but zuma uh slotting in instead of rudiger who usually takes that right center back spot then we got um you know everyone's favorite left center back was it left center back it was left center back you're right um Thanks to whoever wrote that in the notes. Um, but <laughs> he was on the left side. That's right. Uh, then uh, everyone's favorite name, Jovicic, manning the double pivot. Uh, Reese James and Marcus Alonso as the fullbacks, the wingbacks, and a front three, Timo Werner, Havertz, Cho. So as Andreas mentioned, Kai Havertz played a uh, false nine kind of role. Cho was on the left, you know, more like an outside 10, but... You know, he had a lot of freedom to do whatever he wanted, I felt like. Um, but let's let's start off with that front three. Um, we'll start off with Kai Havertz because we already mentioned earlier how great he looked at the uh, at the false nine. And I'll start off with uh, one of a, – a, a tweet from – what's his name on Twitter? Stefano something at Black <laughs> Emoji. Um, he tweeted, so that's what 70 million looks like. And my God, he's right. <laughs> Uh, you know, he started the match as a false nine. Uh, it was his first time being deployed there by Tuchel. 
Uh, two out of two dribbles completed, nothing too big, but he won a penalty, uh, 53 touches, five touches in the opposing box, which was the most, uh, very accurate in passing, 39 uh, out of 41 passes, which is a lot for a forward, 41 passes, my God. Um, two shots, including a goal that was ruled out by a questionable handball. I couldn't tell by the angle, but um, I'll start off with this uh, easy question. Uh, Zach, this one's from at Blaze Caruso. Shout out to Alex Caruso's cousin. He says, is this the best Havertz performance in a Chelsea shirt minus the hat trick uh, in the Carabao Cup? Yeah, yeah, by far. Um, it, it was just a matter of time before we finally got to see Kai uh, playing that false nine position that Andres has been pleading for. Um, <laughs> no, but but man, he looked good. Um, I, I think the stats that stick out most to me are probably uh, the amount of touches that he had. For a center forward, getting 53 total touches on the game is something ridiculous. Um, and it just kind of goes to show you that he had his fingerprints all over, uh, all over the game today. So um, easily a man of the match performance for me. Um, this is a position that I think we're going to see Kai Havertz in a lot more, to be completely honest. Um, I think when we play more quality opposition, this is something that we're going to opt for. Um, it just gives him freedom to kind of pick and choose where he wants to impact the game. Oftentimes he was, um, you know, playing a more traditional false nine role where he drop into the midfield and um, allow uh, the wing backs to run past him. And, and so he could see, uh, you know, three or four players ahead of him at times. Um, and then other times he was a player furthest up the pitch um, and, and making runs that a number nine does. Um, perfect example is the opening goal. Um, you know, it stinks that it had to be an own goal, but the run that Kai Havertz made is a classic number nine run, uh, straight to the front post, um, timed his run perfectly. He made really good contact on the ball too. I, I don't know if it was going in or not uh, before, you know, uh, ricocheted, but nonetheless, um, even though he doesn't have a goal or assist technically tallied to his name. Um, I'm giving him credit for both goals today. Uh, you know, obviously he forced the first one and then the second one, he drew that penalty really, really well. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, this is exciting. This is finally uh, the Kai Havertz that we've all been preaching about. You know, every single Chelsea fan has gone on YouTube and seen his Bayern Leverkusen highlight tapes. Um, and this game seem like the first of many in a Chelsea shirt where we're going to start to see some of these highlights on a, hopefully, uh, hopefully on a YouTube video, uh, for Kai Havertz. So yeah, I mean, uh, plenty more to come from him clearly. Um, and there still is a lot to work on. I think, I think the finishing product could use a little bit of work. Um, maybe, maybe I, I want to see him pick out his shots a little bit more when he gets the ball in and around the 18 yard box, but I'm being hypercritical there. Uh, Andres, I mean, best performance in a Chelsea shirt or do you take that hat trick over this no I I think I put more weight into this because we beat Barnsley seven by seven goals six goals that first time so seven yeah it's one of those things where you're playing against the team that I believe previous to the match was right below us on the table everyone on that team is looking to take Chelsea down. I think they had three matches in a row that they won uh, under in their last five. I mean, and for Kai to come in without starting before this, he's been, you know, getting two minutes here, 10 minutes here. And it's been across the front three, not always in the middle. I think it speaks volumes of how much they've been practicing this in practice in training. And it was the first time that a striker has been so involved 
in a match, including the goals. Because, again, you mentioned it. The first goal he created, even though it got deflected and they counted as a known goal. The second goal, he was the one that was tripped in the box for the penalty. And you mentioned the questionable handball VAR. So in my book, Kai Havertz put the ball in the net three times. I, I know Jorginho takes a penalty, but he doesn't get the penalty without Kai Havertz. I think he did a very good job of being patient. One of the things that we see sometimes with Tammy is that he'll put his head down and he tries to just dribble past whatever's in front of him. I thought Kai was was clever enough to know when to go backwards and recycle possession. Again, a little bit different than Giroud's performances where we sometimes forget that Giroud is involved until he scores a winning goal. So for, for our striker to be much more than just a guy you find through a cross was really nice to see. And I think whenever we need to be less predictable, this is going to be a far, far more used tactic. Again, Havertz has a good shot. There was a couple of shots he decided to take first time from the edge of the box that got hit. It hit a defender or, or he hit it slightly over. But the guy felt very confident for this being his first start under Tuchel. And I just think this is going to pay dividends big time. You know, I, I know we're linked to, to a player like Holland, and you can't say no to an opportunity like that. And and Tammy, when he plays, yes, it's not always pretty, but he scores goals. It's just, again, we have now, if Timo is only playing in the left outside 10, we now have three very different profile of strikers to choose from if you're considering Kai a full-time number nine here. You have Giroud, who is a straight just poacher. You have Tammy who can be the guy that scores the ugly goal and he's all about his effort. And then you have Kai who's more of the, the technical ability and the playmaker more so than just the pure goal scorer. So yeah, for me, this was a great performance. I'm extremely excited. It is right on target for Kai to do his typical late second half, just exponential improvement statistically as well as just gameplay overall like he did in Leverkusen in the past two seasons. So perfect timing as we're pushing for this top four race. And yeah, I, I have zero complaints about this. And Andreas, your answer kind of uh, elude, it, it transitions so well into this next Twitter question. Uh, this one's from at Chelsea Eric. You know, no, normally we hate his questions, but this one is a pretty good one. <laughs> He's asked, is Kai Havertz at the nine the quote answer Andreas I mean you've been talking about it you you're able to see it today is this the like does our number one starting 11 include Kai Havertz at the nine for me yes this is what I've been asking for pretty much going into every match the past month I think if we're going to continue to roll with the three four two one where the outside tens are really the two that you're trying to get into the box to shoot then Kai Havertz fills this false nine playmaking forward a bit role far more than, than Giroud and Tammy do, in my opinion. Again, I don't think he's going to be just an out-and-out striker for us in the long term. I still think that the 3-4-2-1 is just a temporary solution for Tuchel. But for right now, in terms of this current season, I think so. I think so, too, without a doubt. Um up to this point, we haven't looked this good under Tuchel. 
<laughs> and that's uh that's kind of crazy considering that we're still unbeaten. Um, I think we have the most clean sheets in Europe's top five leagues since Ducal came. Uh, that is correct. Became in, in charge. I'm. Uh, thank you for validating that because I'm 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 just blurting that one out out of a out of the back of my memory bank. I don't have any stat in front of me to double check on it, but yeah, um, I'm pretty sure that's true. Um, but I mean, the it point is, is Andre has already confirmed it. It's true. This is, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> this is as good as we looked, guys. Um, I I don't see any way back in for Tammy right now. Um, and, and I think the Olivier Giroud thing, I think Tuchel's looking at that and, and, and seeing the situation for what it is. I mean, he is an aging striker. Of course, he's going to be useful in important games for us. And he's going to get a lot of playing time also. But um, the fluidity of that front three never looked this good until Kai came in there. Uh, he just seemed to kind of put together all the missing pieces. And to be honest, he looks like he has more finishing product than Werner or, or Callum Hudson-Odoi does. So, um, you know, we're, we're going to get goals and assists out of him, I, I think, for sure, before the end of the season. And also, just, you know, including Kai Havertz as your number one striker isn't going to mean that Timo Werner is not also in the starting 11 because he's been, he's been doing really well uh, as a winger, I think. You know, there's still mm-hmm. some things that he needs to, ter- you know, just just tweak as far as, you know, the runs, the kind of runs he makes. You know, he, most of them are towards the byline, and he crosses it in. Obviously, the finishing needs needs some work. You know, he had a couple chances that were on target today, but you know, saved by uh, what's his name, Pickford. So, uh, it was uh, it was you know, it, just the the typical story at the end of any end of most Timo Werner games where he had a lot of great chances, didn't put it away, but you know, it's, 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 it is what it is at this point. I think we are, we've already had this conversation so many times that it's not worth getting into again, but let's talk about, I do want to go ahead. uh, Yeah. One thing I want to butt in really quick. uh, Just, just one point on Timo Werner, maybe Andres, I think maybe you noticed this too. Um, Once we went two nil up, I just want to point out the mat, the game management from Tuchel in switching Kai and Timo's positions up. So essentially putting Timo as a central striker to kind of make those runs in behind because the game was getting stretched. Um, that's just one of the many luxuries that we can enjoy by having Kai Havertz start at the nine or even Timo start at the nine. Uh, basically anyone other than Tammy or Giroud. Um, it, it just allows us to be kind of flexible in terms of the match management aspect of the game too. So, cause he did kind of come alive a little bit towards the end. Obviously he didn't get his goal, but he got into better positions once he started playing centrally um, and playing off the back shoulder. So just something to look out for in the future. Yeah. And, yeah, and Zach, ahead, you, you missed the, the Liverpool match, but he played central there. So mm-hmm. we know he can do it. Maybe while he still adjusts, you want to play him off of somebody else because you want to use that pure speed. But he's getting himself into dangerous positions. He's now pulling the trigger, which I think for a while when when things weren't good under Lampard, he wasn't even trying to do that. He was trying to get the perfect shot off, which involved taking three or four too many touches. Now, it's just a matter of getting him to score, man, because a striker in form chips that ball over Pickford instead of trying to slot it next to him and, and little things like that. Mount had a brilliant little tap to the side that Timo caught in full sprint gets into a position that you think, Oh, this is three nil. 
and then he hits Pickford. And so, yeah, the guy's just not clinical right now. There's probably just a lot of work. He, he's well, he's very hyper aware of the situation he's in. And yes, he's got the best attitude about it, but that still doesn't take away the fact that he's in his head and, and you can tell, like he's trying really hard and we appreciate that. But, you know, sometimes you try your best to do something and it still takes a longer time to, to get things clicking and, and kind of just getting things right. Yeah, you know, 28 matches uh, into the season. He has 10 total goal contributions, I believe. 10 goals and 10 – or sorry, 5 goals, 5 assists. So, again, those aren't like – you know, he's not he's not having a complete dud of a season, you know. He's still – He's still contributing in, in some ways. I mean, especially considering that, you know, we're not a very high-scoring team in the first place. Uh, I mean, how many total goals do we have in the Premier League? It's 44. So a quarter of them he had a contribution in. You know, I mean, so it's 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 still not a dud of a, a complete dud of a season if, if he doesn't, you know, do anything else the rest of the season. Uh, maybe it would be, but I, I still have some faith. Let, let's talk a little bit about Cho. Uh, if you must, you guys want to add something else, but um, played on the left side this time uh, in the front three uh, as one of the outside tens. Um, you know, in the opening twenty or minutes or so, he just looked phenomenal. He looked like one of our brightest players out there. Um, you know, found found Alonso with a through ball before he squared it to Kai for the first goal. Um, you know, a couple of miscommunications between him and, and Alonso as well. Um, as far as you know, when Cho would make the make the pass into open space, and you know Alonso not making that run or not reading that, that's all fine. You know, I think I think that that might have a little bit to do with Cho being uh, deployed mostly on the right side and working with those guys. And I'm pretty sure this is his first chance uh, playing alongside Marcus Alonso. I could be wrong, Andreas. I don't know if you can confirm or deny that, but um, I, I think <laughs> that 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 probably is the case. But I'm going to go through stats real quick. 66 minutes played, two shots, including one on target, two out of two dribbles completed, 20 out of 26 passes completed, two tackles. Um, let's just talk about Cho for a little bit because it's 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 been, you know, he, he's been he's been flourishing either as a wingback or one of the outside tens in this formation. And it's been such a, such a joy and a pleasure to watch him play. Um, but Zach, I mean, Give me a little bit of your rundown on Cho and how he looked today. Yeah, um, a very, very positive performance from him. And it's interesting because we've always been kind of crying out as Chelsea fans. Cho's always seemed to be on the fringe of this team and on the fringe of even breaking out in general. Um, so there's been a loss of patience in some sectors of the Chelsea fan base and then obviously level heads like like us guys, uh, because we're one of the smarter Chelsea fans, we're holding on to, to, to uh, holding on to the hope that Cho was going to blow up and become this crazy good player. Um, well, guess what? He he did. Uh, the kid could do it all. I mean, we've seen him play at wing back. He did that role exceptionally well. Tuchel even spoke about him being able to play wing back on the left hand side. Also, now he's playing as one of those inside wingers. We've seen him play as just a regular out and out winger. He was a number ten through the whole youth, uh, uh, growing up through his youth, um, where he was touted as one of the best in his position uh, for his age group in all of England. I mean, 
the list goes on and on. Now we're finally starting to see the performances uh, and the consistency from him that we need. Um, we've talked about it through all of Frank's tenure, how there seemed to be a sense of this team blowing hot and cold at times. And that does tie into certain players as well. We've seen guys like Kovacic slip in and out of form, Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham, uh, even Olivier Giroud, who's been one of our more consistent players, uh, you know, through the managerial merry-go-rounds. Um, but Cho has come in and easily been the best player under Tuchel um, if you're looking at their full body of work. Now, there are a lot of close seconds and, you know, guys like Christensen and obviously Kovacic and, and Jorginho. But what this kid's been able to do is great. And there are going to be some casualties as a result of it. Um, you know, the fact that Tuchel has seen him in multiple positions and he's probably seen him more than any of his other players uh, in general, especially the forward players. Guys like Christian Pulisic, guys like Giroud, guys like Ziyech, Tammy Abraham, they got to start uh, stepping their game up a little bit because, I mean, it chose getting called out and being basically plugged into anywhere where he's needed, and he's putting in these these insanely good performances. So as of right now, our best 11 has Cho in it. Um, it doesn't matter whether it's at wing back or if he's in that front three. I'm finding a way to fit him into that into our best 11 uh, regardless. And I think the fact that Tuchel pulled him off 66 minutes in kind of tells us something that we're definitely planning on using him next match, um, you know, in, in a game like uh, in against an opponent like Leeds, who's going to be high pressing a real quick technical player like Cho, who could wiggle himself out of trouble is going to be useful. So really, really happy for him. Um, hopefully the, the fucking transfer rumors will go away now that he's, you know, solidified a place in his Chelsea team. But, uh, but yeah, I think the only thing missing from his game right now is just that is those statistical contributions. He's doing everything else but getting those goals and assists. And I know we sound like broken records. We're saying it about Timo and, and, and a few of our other players. But with Cho, if he puts that piece of the puzzle together, we have a potentially world-class player on our hands. Yeah, and, and you could see from the very beginning – when he starts on the left side, he's not one-dimensionally crossing the ball, which is my one complaint of him playing on the right as a wingback or as a forward, however you want it. The guy's not afraid of dribbling at, at defenders, whether he's on the left or the right, but when he's on the right side, he dribbles himself into the byline. He beats the defender, great, but then he's not in a position to shoot, and you can tell... It feels quite obvious when he's on the right side when he wants to go to his left. And his left foot is is still a work in progress. So in this match, he had, we said, two shots, one on target. But the the, the intention is there. And those finesse shots to, to the back post where they're curling back towards goal, those almost become a muscle memory. So once he starts hitting those in the right place, he can be a legitimate goal threat because people are going to be so afraid of him cutting inside that once that happens, players like Alonso can make a run. Maybe Kai or even Timo Werner can then sneak off for, for a dink pass that perhaps they, you know, notice a, a run and, and Cho sees them opening up as he's decoying that he's cutting inside. So he becomes much more of a, an attacking threat, a direct attacking threat when he's on the left. I think his crossing isn't harmed too much because if he does it early enough, hitting it back post curling towards goal, 
is going to be just fine because if a, if a striker or, or someone like Mason Mount runs onto the ball and even misses, the keeper has to hesitate and the ball could even go in through a, through a dangerous cross per se. So yeah, I agree, Zach, that Cho has to be starting in this lineup. I think that if Werner doesn't get on the score sheet soon, that may mean that Werner doesn't start and we see a front three of Cho, Havertz, and, and Mount. Because I, one thing to point out also is that now Reese James has had consistency at the right wingback spot. And I thought in this match specifically, even he looked far more comfortable on the attack with the right wingback slot. He, there was one uh, specific run of play where nobody around him made the correct run. So he just put his head down and dribbled the ball 30 yards down the pitch and, and even tried shooting before it was deflected by a defender. So it's a, I think it's a two-way street where now that Reese James is comfortable playing as wingback, Tuchel can now play Cho at left wing or, or quote-unquote the left outside 10, which is what he's been mentioning he wants to do with, with Hudson-Odoi once everybody else settles around him. So, again, good for him. Just another player that needs to break the seal when it comes to goal scoring, but I thought he was fantastic. Not fuzzed by the sub. No, me neither, to be honest. Uh, and I don't think he is either. Cho, Cho's, in my opinion, has become a lot, really professional um, as far as what Tuchel's, you know, the Tuchel's decisions to pull him and to play him. And, you know, I think he's at the point where he knows that, you know, he's one of Tuchel's favorites and he's he'll never you know be out of rotation but he's got you know the last two years i think he's learned a lot about having to sacrifice so you know now he's he's actually getting playing time so he should be you know like absolutely thrilled for what tuchel's done so the fact that he takes him out after it's you know 66 minutes or whatever it, it, it shouldn't bother him anymore at this point uh and i'm i'm happy that he at least this is you know my interpretation of the whole situation. I don't want to speak for him, but that's how I feel. Uh, that's how it seems. Uh, let's talk about the defense because it's just another clean sheet for the squad and everyone's looking on point. Zuma, who is a guy who we had some questions uh, about his ability to play the ball with his feet and, you know, he, he really killed it in that left center back spot. Um, you know, Christensen again, at the base, like you know, what we what we talked about was when Zuma c- came back, he'd he'd probably play in this in the middle, but it's you know it's definitely Andreas Christensen at this point. Um, I think the the way that he's been just so confident with the ball, like it, it, it's it's a night and day difference to what I saw before. Just you can you can see it in the way he collects the ball, the way he looks around, uh, you know, the way he makes his pass, you know, everything about it is just his confidence is growing but um let's talk a little bit about zuma because you know he had a little bit of an injury scare but you know beyond that it was a phenomenal performance he was he was playing he played kind of like the same role that rudiger had been playing and bringing the ball up the pitch like dribbling up past midfield and you know it's really nice to have a big guy who can you know, I mean, like it, one of these times is going to lead to him being uh, in the middle of the box for a cross on a buildup. Like it, it doesn't have to be a set play for him to be out there. But um, do you think, Zach, I'll start off with you. Do you think that it's possible that Zuma could push Rudiger for the number one spot for that left center back position? 
look, if we learned anything, I, I think it's that anything is possible um, under Tuchel. He gives guys chances and, and, and he adapts and he chops and changes his lineups according to the to the teams and the opponents that we're playing. With that being said, I don't think that there's necessarily a go-to starting 11 for Tuchel. Yes, there are some players and maybe there's a formation that he's going to stick with, but there's always going to be some changes in every single match. I don't think we're ever going to see a period of four or five games in a row where we see an unchanged side. Um but yeah, I mean, in regards to his performance, just in general, um, he looked comfortable there. Um, I think the only thing that maybe there could be a little bit of brushing up on, and maybe this is, we could chalk this down to him not being so familiar with the back three under Tuchel, because he hasn't really played there much. It's it's the passing, the one-touch passing. Uh, Rudiger gives that to you. Now, now, we do criticize him a lot because of his long ball ability. Sometimes he's off target a lot. Uh, other times he's on target with his passing. He kind of blows hot and cold in that sense. But especially with the short passing and Rudiger, he releases the ball quickly. He only takes one or two touches. Um, Zuma was holding on to it uh, a little bit too long uh, at times. And then other times when he would try to play it one touch, uh, the pass would be the pass would have the wrong weight to it. It'd either be too soft or too firm. So I'm chalking that off the familiarity, getting used to where players are going to be, where players like the ball. Um, obviously he hasn't played with Christensen in a little while, so that could be chalked off to it a little bit as well, but overall great performance. I do want to say, I'm glad that he's not hurt because I think that could be huge for our uh, implications to make a top four push. Having that squad depth is crucial, but dude, that was a non-contact the way he was going down. I was like, Oh my God, it's another ACL injury. Like I was just, yeah, uh, but thank God, knock on wood, he was okay. And he didn't have to, he didn't get subbed off at all. Huh? Right. Yeah. Cause I saw tiago warm up but he never got taken off but um, i think the, i think the key with those knee injuries is the next day <laughs> you know the yeah. day after the match kind of seeing how do you I feel think, yeah the lateral movements are worrying with start, the, for sure yeah, yeah. all right uh andreas what did, what did you think uh, i i thought he was great i i think the issue behind the passing and taking it a while is everton had a really good defensive shape for most of the match and if for everyone watching, you notice how many times we had to go all the way back to Edward Mendy to to reset because they they had us pretty compact and for I'd argue about 25 minutes of the first half it was hard to to get through. But I think and I and I'm gonna keep praising this and I'm obviously biased because this is my opinion, but Zuma has gives you more overall than Rudiger. And it's not pretty, it's not stylish, but he had a header today that was on target, and that's already more headers on target off a of set piece than Rudiger's given me in this whole stint. So I think we've been very weak on set pieces since both Zuma and Thiago Silva have left the starting 11. And I don't see a very big difference between starting Zuma and Rudiger defensively or in possession. But if I'm going to get goals out of Zuma because he is just a monster in the air, of course I'm going to want him to start over Rudiger. So between those two, if Zuma can show us that it's not just a one good performance against Everton, I'd want to play him over Rudiger at the left center back position. Again, it's not because Rudiger's been bad in there, but I just think that Zuma has that little extra when it comes to set pieces and, and being a direct threat in the air in those positions. I, I do want to make a point really quick. Tuchel said before the game that 
it's uh, selecting Zuma wasn't necessarily rotational, but it was actually because Everton lead the league in uh, set piece goals in or in headed goals. It's one or the other. I forget which, but I mean, you look at their team; they're massive. They usually they've been playing lately. I know not against us, but they've been playing their last few matches with essentially four center backs as their back four. So. Um, they do rely heavily on that. And I noticed the impact that Zuma had and the, and not necessarily, um, you know, the shot on target is great and all, but I'm, I'm speaking of the attention he gets when he's in the box. You have to put two guys on him. You cannot put one player on Kurt Zuma when we have a pen, when we have a corner kick or we have a, or we have a free kick, uh, in a position where we could get a cross off. There's just, there's just no way the opposition manager is ever going to let that happen. So having him free, frees up another player um, in the box for us. So, yeah, definite benefits there. Andres, I agree with you. I mean, if, if I had to pick a center back to stick with for the long haul, I'm going to go Zuma over Rudiger just for that, um, just for that, you know, the aerial dominance. There's nobody else in the Premier League that can compete with or that has competed with Kurt Zuma this season in terms of statistical figures winning aerial duels and and, and scoring uh headed opportunities so hey, guys just i'll throw it i'll uh, oh, go go for it I was, I was just say i'll throw in a third name in there because this yeah. is i think this is the bigger question because you know I, I mentioned earlier tiago was warming up that would have been his first appearance since getting hurt against tottenham um so you know he's clearly healthy now ready to play so now that he is healthy Who's your starting back three? Because I feel like Dave stays at right center back no matter what. Um, and it's just like Christensen's been so solid in the middle. Like, is he really going to lose his spot now that now that Tiago's back? I mean, I don't know. Zach, what do you think? It's a really, really, really good problem to have, isn't it? Um, yeah. I don't necessarily think Tiago coming back means that Christensen's automatically out. I think he has the ability to play on the right-hand side, but he just looked way better in the middle. Um, but in general, I think I think our strongest back three is probably going to be, um, you know, any combination of Thiago Silva uh, in the middle and then, you know, Dave on the right and probably Zuma out on the left if I had to pick. Um, but then again, we haven't even seen that in-game. In, in um but I, I think something that we haven't necessarily talked about, the amount of playing time that Dave has gotten so far, I think he's been the only player that hasn't been rotated under Tuchel. So that's something that we can keep an eye on. Just because you know we were talking about Zuma slotting in on the left-hand side for Rudiger, I don't think you can rule out the possibility of seeing Zuma and Rudiger in the same back three, one on the right-hand side and one on the left-hand side just for rotation's sake. And I'm also going to throw another name in there that we could possibly see. Reese James at right center back, uh, a position that he's familiar with. He played there um, uh, in the youth system also. Um, and, you know, obviously he has a passing range and that ability to play a deep cross. Physically, he can handle the position. He is big in stature. He has pace. He doesn't really get beat very often in one-on-ones. So that's something else that we could also see as well. So there are tons of, there are tons of different shapes and different players you could plug in and different into different positions but ultimately in that back three if you know christensen's been has done so well up to this point but regardless of tiago silva's age that guy's resume speaks for itself it, it would be criminal to say that our best back three doesn't have him in it 
it, it would actually be disrespectful to him. Yeah, I'll be a little bit more direct and, and short. Right now on form, the back three, the strongest back three is, to me, you keep Christensen in the middle because he's not go- he's not as good on the on the outsides. He, they tried that in the FA Cup and it was shambles. So keep Christensen in the middle. You put Thiago Silva on the left and you keep Aspie on the right. We talk about Thiago Silva's world class. He'll be fine not playing in the center. He's still going to be the vocal leader. He's still going to be the one organizing the back three. He's just not in the middle. And I don't think that's an issue whatsoever. So for me, based on form and as well as skill, because again, Thiago hasn't been playing recently, I would go Thiago Silva on the left. I would say Christensen in the middle and Aspie on the right. And just like Zuma brings that aerial threat, Thiago does it too. So again, I think that's already an instant upgrade, in my opinion, for Rudiger. With the current batch, if you're going to ask me to put him in an order of importance, I would put probably Christensen based on form first, wow. then Thiago, then Aspie, then Zuma, and end it with Rudiger. I'm not going to argue with that because Christensen's been our best defender for the last few matches. But Andres, I don't see Thiago Silva playing on the left under two goal. Why not? I think the guy cares too much about balance. He's always talking about having the right height, the right size, the right amount of defending, the right amount of attacking. And I also think he looks at the right amount of pace. So, you know, like like prior to the Liverpool match, he said he started Werner up top because he wanted pace. Well, same thing here. I think he has Zuma, Rudiger, Christensen, Dave, those guys playing on the outsides because they have a little bit more pace and mobility than Thiago does. And I also think, you know, even if Thiago does have that, you know, uh, the ability to play on that side. I think he's capable of it. I'm not saying he's not. I don't think the team is willing to put him in a position like that either, um, considering he's already popped his hamstring once this season. There's a lot more sprinting required when you're playing on the outside flanks. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I just don't think like we could I, – I don't feel like Tuchel would ever deploy him there. I'm not necessarily opposed to it, but I just think for balance's sake – I think there's other options that, that Tuchel would rather go with than play Thiago on the outside. Like, I think Tuchel would rather go with if push came to shove and all of our other center backs got injured and we had to play Thiago on the outside of a back three. I think Tuchel would rather play a back four in that case because he could protect Thiago, um, you know, with the lack of pace and also, you know, the injury the injury concerns also at his age. Andreas, I want to hear your response to that. Well, I, I wanted to also touch base – Aspie has played every single minute of the Premier League under Tuchel, just to, yeah. to give you that. I think, I mean, Christensen is 6'2", and yes, Rudiger is 6'3", but I think we can still argue that Thiago Silva is a far better defender aerially, regardless of those three inches. I, I don't feel comfortable with Rudiger heading a ball because I don't know where the hell that's going to go. We've said it before, we don't know what the shape of his head really is because there is no direction. And... Because this kind of leads into Ron's question. The back three is there just to win a long ball because the way we're counter pressing, these guys aren't getting into sprint races with anybody. Cause if that was an issue, Aspie wouldn't be playing anyway because he's not the fastest guy. And so we talked, you talked also earlier about it's, it's going to how... be an issue though. It, look at the Liverpool match. That match was end to end for a good 10 well, that's the champions minutes. of England, regardless of their of their form. We are <laughs> that was supposed to be a hard game. It was supposed to be end to end. That we we can't dominate 
every single week right now. It is still a new manager. No, 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 no. I'm not. saying that's the logic for not playing a guy like Tiago on the outside. That's the only point I'm really arguing here is that, like, I don't think that the team's ever going to play him out there. I, I don't think that's even going to cross Tuchel's mind just for balance's sake. Well, I you're still think that you, you're you're not crediting Thiago's brain enough because no, I'm crediting Tottenham, his brain. I'm I'm crediting his brain even more. I think the smartest defender should be playing in the middle of that back three. And Thiago, I mean, I'd argue as that's well as Christensen played because David Luiz was our best defender in a back three, and he's the stupidest one, soccer brain wise, in in the in that team back in the day. David that guy Luiz is there to clean house. That's David. It. Yeah, but yeah, but playing David Luiz in the middle of Conte's back three was different. We were playing him back there to protect him because he was such a bad defender. Well, that's my we weren't point, playing him there because he was necessarily the smartest. I think Christensen but, needs more protection because he is the least – right now he's confident, obviously, but he's still the, the least confident one out of that back three. If you include Thiago on the left and Aspie on the right, that is the veteran leadership to keep Christensen sane in the middle against tough, tough competition – and again, if we're going to be getting end-to-end -end football, my argument is that Thiago will be placed in the right spot and not have to go end-to-end. -end. And, and again, I'll use a Tottenham example where unfortunately got hurt because it was pouring down rain and he slipped. But that guy is in the right place at the right time. Rarely did he get into sprints because all he had to do is put his leg out and he was already controlling a ball. He, stre that was he stretched his leg and tore his hamstring. Again, he didn't slip. He, he, he had like, to, he like, had to like this is this he is the thing dive. you gotta what you have to do it's different you, like you're i think you're just arguing about his age but the guy was playing every single minute under lampard and i never heard you give me that argument in a back four which was a mess no 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 Be, no yeah the back four the back four under lampard was a complete mess there was no right. way i was going to pin blame on one single guy and tiago and zuma were actually the best center back partnership to kick but he off wasn't the getting season. hurt they so good but he wasn't getting hurt and he was doing far more running then than he is now but, We're but controlling now, seventy plus percent of possession. The back three just passes it sideways and forwards. They run maybe two, three times a game when we get caught on a one one off counter, and I'm sure that our physios can make uh, Tiago run three times full speed a game. That's my argument. Yeah, against weak opposition, but we're never against gonna... anyone because Tiago is the reason Jovicic, so. the, the whole Jovicic double pivot, even was a possibility. He, he, You're he'll not get, he'll giving get his organization of the midfield enough credit either because the guy's going to be shouting instructions the whole time. No, there's too much potential to get rinsed by pace, my opinion. Uh, agree to disagree. I think I think against like a weak opposition, a weaker opposition, a team like if we're going to dominate 70% of possession and we know that going into a match, any mid-table team, take your pick. I don't mind Thiago playing out there because his brain alone is going to get us the dub. I, I see the logic there. But against top teams that have that have pace out wide that are basically modern footballing teams, everybody has pace out wide nowadays. I just don't see that being a possibility under Tuchel. Like I, I think Tuchel would rather go. With we a, had sixty almost sixty percent possession against United. We had almost fifty percent possession against Liverpool. Those are your quick outside guys. I, I still don't see how that. I, I don't understand. Like we no. just played those games two weeks back to back. Let's just agree to disagree. I don't think this is hey, going anywhere. On either this. way, I, either way, this was some great discourse. You know, like I, as a third party, what do you think, in, Sam? I don't know who I agree what, with. What you weigh in? No, I don't know. I don't know who I agree with because I think you guys made both valid points, and I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm just, not. I'm, I'm just not. 
Go I'm ahead. just going to put it out there, though. I'm not shitting oh, on Thiago Silva whatsoever. He's our best center back. Like, uh, there's no argument whatsoever. I'm just I'm, saying. Andres, after this conversation, do you want to re-rank your center back rankings? You still have Andres Christensen as number one? On form, yeah. On form, yeah. he is, yeah. And today he's healthy. He's he's settled okay. into this side. You You don't take him out just because Tiago's back and and more or less you don't shift him out of the middle where he's been dominating he's been our best defender since Tiago went down yeah, yeah. That might no, no, be no. a good I, problem might be a bad problem honestly I think I think this might this is the last point I'm going to make on that Andres I agree with you with in terms of the, in terms of form you don't you don't drop Christensen just because Tiago's healthy he's been playing too well for him to get dropped like that that alone is going to break him so yeah you guys, you guys think that these guys are like fragile, like immature, you know, like he's, he's a big boy. He can handle a couple, a couple matches sitting out. Okay. He knows he's no, in favor. If, if he like, gets dropped completely, like if completely, yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah. He's not going to get dropped completely. He'll sit a couple of matches for Tiago Silva. It's not like you'll never see the pitch again, you know, like yeah, he has to, but he's a, he's a big guy. Same thing I was saying. He's a big boy. Same thing I was saying with Cho, like. I think I think Tuchel's done a great job of kind of managing the players' expectations and you know understanding the importance of rotation in his system and you know like no one like if you feel like if you've lost your job come talk to me and like I'll make it clear to you that you haven't lost your job you know that kind of thing so I'm not too worried about that I like I, at the end of the day Thiago Silva has to be in our best back three because he's our best defender and I think that whether that's on the left side in the center. He'll make either of them work, and if Andreas Christensen has to sit out a couple matches, I'm sure he'll be okay with it at the end of the day. Um, but we're talking about just the defense in general being so good, and you know, you mentioned this earlier, Andreas. We got a question from Ron, aka Bone Daddy Cool, aka Bone Daddy Deluxe, aka Bone Daddy Supreme. He asks, "What do you think has been the main reason uh, our defense has played so well?" Is it the formation, Mendy, or Silva's influence on the defenders? What is it? Andreas, what, what do you think it is? I mean, Tuchel has said it pretty clearly in his press conferences from day one. A back three is far easier to coach and, and manage. And I alluded to it earlier, but our midfielders and strikers are pressing the moment we lose the ball, which is then forcing the opposition to panic or resort just to a ball over the top and our back three is just waiting for that to happen i i think we get rarely caught in a bad position because when you have just three at the back you have seven guys pressing what is usually on the opposite side just seven players too and if the ball is that pinned forward because we're possessing the ball so much it's usually in a position where a center back is not facing forward already or an outside back is cornered and, and doesn't have that many options. So we are causing the other team to just launch it, and we are ready for that. It's not an unorganized press where one chipped ball over midfield finds three players just hanging out in front of our defense because, again, we're expecting that now. It's not going to catch us off guard. And we possess the ball so much that even the strikers who are trying to stay high 
get to the point where they're just frustrated and want to help get the ball back. They're not just going to sit there and not help. And then when they kick it long, there's nobody there to receive it. So the possession, the counter pressing, I think that's really it. I don't think as much as I want to give Silva credit, I think his influence was more seen under, under Lampard's regime than Tuchel's because again, we were worried that this was all going to go to crap when he went down. But here we are again with only Mina Mino being the only scorer uh, from, by the opposition X games down the road. I, I believe uh, that Tuchel has also the record for most, I think for, as a manager, he's got his first five home games all with clean sheets. So that's a, that's a Premier League record. So again, I think it's more of what he has brought in in terms of a philosophy defending than, than Mendy or, or Silva individually bringing that, that for us. Yeah, I, I agree with you, man. I, 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 think, I think the fact that we have so much of the ball, it does frustrate the opponent uh, to a certain extent. But when we, when we are in possession, the difference between the possession with Tuchel and the possession with Frank is that the possession with Tuchel is almost as clean as it gets in the, in the first two-thirds of the pitch, in the defensive and middle third. We don't lose the ball um, with silly passes or silly giveaways in the middle of the pitch. And we don't, and, and in turn, that doesn't leave us as exposed as often. Under Frank, our midfield looked completely discombobulated. And Andres talked about it. Uh, the, the press that we would have would look disorganized. The opposition would play one ball over the top, and it would essentially delete our whole entire midfield. Um and that was a big issue for us. And and once that levy broke, we, we we couldn't stop the floodgates. And unfortunately, you know, what happened happened. And now Tuchel came in and the press does look look it does look more strategic in the sense that if the initial press is broken, if there's a risky press that's there and our player knows they can't get the ball, they're actually instructed to set back. That way we keep numbers behind the ball and we keep our shape. So we're we're pressing without compromising our without compromising our shape. There's always cover, and I feel like the players have better instruction from Tuchel in regards to where to be and what to do um, defensively. And the fact that we are pressing smarter is 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 forcing the other team to lose the ball where it puts us into better positions to sort of uh, to, to either one counter quickly or link up a few passes and switch the ball and then start a counter, which is something that we were trying to do often here against Everton. You know, their defensive line was really, was really good. When that happens, sometimes the only way to break them down is to win the ball via pressing and then switch it immediately. And then boom, now you're attacking down that flank and you could attack that space before their defenders get there or before they make that shift. And that's something that we were trying to expose here and something that we've been doing really well under Tuchel. Now, the key is getting on the end of those opportunities. You know, when we are playing great defense and we are winning the ball back, we're not scoring as much as we'd like, but I don't think that matters. As long as the defense keeps playing this well, it, it, we don't need to be scoring three or four goals to win. I think Tuchel's shown that he can manage a team to win games by a goal or by only scoring two goals, um, which is a breath of fresh air, to be completely honest, because it felt like with Frank... It felt like we had to outscore our opponents to win. 
Whether as with Tuchel, we can come in, scrap out a goal, it can be ugly, and we can still walk away with the win. Um, just by just by having clean possession in the first two thirds and, and, and a stout defense. So I mean that's something that's probably the most noticeable thing since Tuchel came in is how solidified we looked at the back. And I think that's gonna do nothing but continue because these guys are getting a, a better and better grasp of this philosophy. It's been it's been just absolutely wonderful to watch too. It's it's a combination of all of those things you guys mentioned for sure, and uh, you know like just the last couple of weeks of Lampard's tenure compared to what we've seen under Tuchel, it's night and day. You know, like it's 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 so hard for me to not uh, compare Frank Lampard's tenure and and Tuchel because it is it's the same exact team. Um, you know, it's 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 too hard for me not to make that comparison, but. I'm more I'm more trying to give credit to Tuchel and what he's done than to disparage Frank Lampard, you know. Uh, let's move on to you got some more Twitter questions. This one's from uh, Prash Prash CFC. You know he loves to be rash, and we got another rash question from him. He asked, "I'm tired of defending Timo on a basis of goals plus assists, <laughs> which I I'm guilty of today, or expected goals to say he is unlucky." When we spent fifty million, we expect our strikers to score goals. What do you think we have to do to get Werner's pro, uh, prolificacy? Uh, is that yeah, prolificacy? Prolificacy? I can't even. I don't know what word I'm trying to say. In front of goal. Proficiency? I don't know. I don't, prolificacy. Prolificness. Is that a word? It's definitely yeah. not a word because when I click on it, it's uh uh yeah prolificacy. I don't know. Maybe okay, it is. There we go. Yeah. Shout out, the, yeah, he knows Just, more the, words than the I ability do. of being highly productive, like prolific, like a prolific striker. Got it. Werner's prolificacy in front of goal and in running. Surely Tammy is not this bad in finishing. Sure, I I am with you 100%. Prash, Prash. I apologize if I mispronounce it, but uh, it's it is something that is it's hard it's hard to defend for sure. But you don't need to to defend it honestly i've got it's come to the point where i i hear all of the the trash people talk about timo Werner, and i I just don't let it bother me anymore you know like i I know what i see i know what i know and if i'm happy with what i see from timo's performance then that's the only thing that matters in my opinion and i'm assuming you're talking about defending him against other chelsea fans of fans of other teams who you know are are going to be extra harsh of your players, obviously. And to me, it's, it, it, I, I don't care if we're winning, if we're playing well, if he's, he's performing, I don't, I don't need him to score goals. I like what I see. That's the only thing that matters. I think in my opinion, do you guys, I mean, am I, do you have like different way of answering it or. Andres, you want to go first? I, well, here's the one thing I'm just going to point out. Right now, we've come to learn that it's not one versus the other. Tammy didn't play today. Apparently, there's like an ankle injury. At least that's what FOTMOP keeps telling me. But let's say he's healthy. Right now, Tammy's not competing with Werner to start. So I, I, I understand what you're saying, Prosh, but I don't think it has to be Werner versus Tammy. It should be Tammy versus Giroud versus Kai right now. Werner might get deployed at center forward if 
we really think that that's the only way we're going to break someone down, which ended up being Liverpool's Achilles heel earlier this this past seven days. Tammy, sure, Tammy is a better finisher than than Werner. No argument there. But today shows what Tuchel wants his striker to do when we're going to be dominating possession and when the when the directness of, of how we want to score isn't there. And that's what I think Tammy needs to focus on if the question is leaning towards why isn't Tammy starting over someone like Timo. As for Werner, man, I mentioned it earlier. The dude's head is... The guy has a good attitude, but that doesn't mean that when when push comes to shove and he sees the goalie running right at him, he's feeling 100%. So we mentioned it weeks ago, and and our friend Bobby, who is big on stats, kind of sent us all this information about how Timo has never been a clinical finisher. It's just the fact that he created so many chances back in the Bundesliga that he would get 35 goals a season. So... Again, the chances are coming more and more. If he can only get his confidence up, we'll see more goals. I think if he gets tackled in the penalty box, that's good. That counts for something because he created a chance there. But right now, I I don't think it's a Timo versus Tammy thing. And and yes, we paid 50 mil for Timo. But with Timo on the pitch under Tuchel, we're still unbeaten. So... I, it's hard. It's hard to explain. In terms of why he's not scoring, it's just his head is not there. And, and again, the second part of the question, I don't think Tammy versus Timo is is the fight that we need to be fighting right now. I, I don't know if Timo even needs to be defended. Um, you don't have to score to play well. You have to assist to play well. Now, I understand the argument. Strikers need to be putting up numbers. But Werner's not being deployed as a striker half the time. Um, Andres, you touched on it. The guy's won penalties. He's, he has his fingerprints all over the place since Tuchel's, uh, since Tuchel came in. He started out Tuchel's reign actually as our most important attacker. Um, but, but the performances are getting better and better. And if you're going to argue that, yeah, the goals and assists aren't coming, well, guess what? Kai Havertz just started at the false nine. And there's going to be a lot more opportunities for Timo to score. We talk about him only being able to put up those numbers with volume. Well, he's going to get volume with Kai Havertz at the false nine. He's going to get volume when Hakeem Ziyech comes back in, if Hakeem Ziyech hits any sort of form. Same thing with Christian Pulisic. All these guys that are playing in and around him create chances. So he's going to have those opportunities. Um, I still don't think that he's hit 110% yet. He's not. Confidence-wise... In front of the net, there's something inside of him that's holding him back. He's doing all the other things right all over the pitch. His touch has gotten better. He's starting to be a little bit more fluid with his possession. He's getting, he's releasing the ball a lot quicker. He's making up his mind a lot quicker as well. But it's just that when he finds himself in front of goal, there's just that, that little lapse of confidence. No, he's not going to be this clinical world-class striker that you know has this crazy conversion rate. It's not going to be like that, but he, he's going to get his opportunities. I don't think it's, I think I don't think you're wrong for complaining about a striker not scoring, Prash. But I think at the same time, you have to look at it through the lens of how is he performing? Is the team winning? And is there anybody doing it better than him? And the question, and the answer to that is no. So until someone comes along and 
start scoring every match that plays the same position as him that can replace him, he's going to keep playing. All right, let's go on to the next question. This one's uh, another one from at Black Emoji. He asks, as long as we keep collecting dubs, does it matter if Pulisic doesn't start? Uh, I mean, I was, I was, I was pretty disappointed to see that he didn't start today, even though I was happy with the selection of this front three. Um, he, he came on one in the 90th minute, didn't, didn't do anything today. Um, but I don't know. I mean, Zach, I'll start off with you. What do you think? The non-biased answer is no, there's nothing wrong. Um, because we're we're winnings uh, we're we're winning matches there, there there's no argument there now i like you know i put my my red white and blue glasses on and yeah i, I mean i obviously i'd love to see Pulisic play more i think he has something to offer to this team i actually think if he gets up and running he's probably in our best you know, in and around our best 11 I, i'd argue that he might be in my best 11 even um but no I don't think it's an issue. The team's winning. The team's obviously more important. The key for him is when he gets that opportunity, because Tuchel keeps referring to the fact that he's going to get it eventually and that it's unfair that he's out. When Pulisic does get that opportunity, it's so important for him to grab it and seize it. Um, otherwise, he might find himself on the fringe of this squad uh, permanently. So, no, I don't think it matters. The team's winning, and that's the most important thing. I... I think Ballistic needs to just relax. I think he came on as a sub today at a point where we were dominating the match. And then he, the first thing I remember him doing was trying to do a long dribble and run around a defender and he eats it. <laughs> he was bro, trying to show off, bro. He, that's his only that, time he that, has to show off. But that's the thing, though. If that's going to be his highlight, I'd rather his highlight be easy passes and he's doing the right thing rather than that because – if he fails at that, then he's not going to get the easy things right because he's not even trying the easy things. I think right now he's just way, way, way too caught up on on trying to get the highlight play so that he can earn the start rather than putting his head down and doing the work when he's there. Like, What was the need of that at all? I, I just thought, man, we've been passing through this defense all day, and then he does that. So... No, it doesn't matter that he's not starting, but if he wants to start, he needs to just take a deep breath and work until his time comes. My only big thought is that he'll start maybe the the Atletico, not the Atletico, the Sheffield FA Cup match, but he needs to play far more relaxed than he has when he comes on as a sub. He, You can tell he knows he has a little bit of time to do something instead of just trying to play the game. So in terms of the team side, no, it doesn't matter. On the Pulisic side, he needs to get his head on straight. That's what he needs. Yeah. Damn, I mean, scathing Andres. I, yeah, it's because it's like, I, from what I see from Pulisic, like, it's it's exactly your spot on. Like, he's just trying too hard. And I, I just don't blame him. You know, that's the thing. Here's the thing. But, I don't but blame him. But not in him. the good way. It, it, it reminds me of when Hudson Adoy first broke into the team. And you're like, dude, you really don't need to do seven scissors to get past one defender. It, it's that sort of thing. It's it's this showboaty effort rather than the 
the hard yards effort. He feels like the 17-year-old kid that played – scratch that. The kid that comes in freshman year, makes varsity because he plays for a small school, has crazy highlights, he gets somehow to a big college, and then he turns into nobody. That's what it feels like. Yeah. No, you're right. Like, it, it's embarrassing. I don't know. As, a, as an American fan, like, you want to see him, and it's like, if we can have the same exact results, but Pulisic is playing, like, that's ultimate uh, outcome, but Listen, it's it's not it's not as much as you, you know it, like us wanting Pulisic to play well because he's American, but it's more along the lines of we've seen what he can do and we know that he he can put together a couple uh, spectacular performances in a row and uh, you know just want to see that sustained for a long period of time. It doesn't matter, but uh, for winning, we're winning. Whatever. Let's move on to the next question. This one is from uh, at khega 19 He asks, at this point, is it still good enough for Timo to have chances and not actually finish? And why does Timo get chances after chance after chance after chance, but Pulisic can't get an extended run of games? <laughs> oh, this is funny because we were just talking about this, but... Um, yeah, I guess to just wrap it all together, is, is is it good enough to have Timo have these chances and not finish? Andreas, what do you think? Actually, I'll start off. I'll start off with Zach. I know I see you're typing something, Andreas. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, he, it it's not It's it's it sort of ties back to what I said with to Prash's question. Strikers should be scoring goals. We're we're not wrong to question why our attackers aren't scoring or our strikers aren't scoring. But again, there's nobody doing it better. There's nobody putting themselves in, in, into positions as often as him. There's nobody that Tuchel really trusts as much as him um, in that front three because he's played almost every single game there. Um, so no, I don't think it's good enough right now because he does need to be scoring. But again, it... it there's just there's nobody else around him. You you can't make a clear case and say you should play him over over Timo. There I don't see any anyone else in that front three besides maybe Kai Havertz or Cho. But then again, who's the third guy? It's probably Timo in that situation. We haven't seen enough from Pulisic. Tammy's clearly out of favor. Giroud's one dimensional. He can't play on the flank. Ziyech, I feel like he, he's got to put together a, a, a complete ninety minutes. For me to really believe that he can he can fit into our strong eleven, so no, I, I there's nobody else that slots in there. So I think I think we're asking the wrong questions. It, it's it's more a matter of is there anyone else that's doing it better than him or that deserves or that deserves a chance more than him? We know what Pulisic has done in the past under Frank, but we don't know what he's done under Tuchel. So 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 that's kind of my argument for the whole Pulisic thing because I think that's where that question was leaning, you know. He has gotten his opportunities. He has looked a little, I don't want to say nervous. He looked like he's trying to overcompensate and try to overimpress as opposed to just doing the simple things and letting the game come to him like he was doing under Frank. Um, again, I, I kind of alluded to it. For one, look at the formation, right? We got the striker position is, is a, a question mark and you're not putting Pulisic there. Mason Mount will start as the right-sided 10 no matter what. 
And then on the left, yes, Timo's been the number one choice. Hudson Adoy has been used at wing back. Otherwise, I think potentially he could have been contending for that left wing spot earlier. But then I mentioned it earlier. You we've given we've seen now Polisic have 20, 30 minute cameos. And it's been more of the same of what was happening even pre-Tuchel. He wasn't great under Lampard this season either. And and we thought maybe it was on Lampard's tactics or or the team overall's play, but but Polisic is just not having it this season. And I, it reminds me of of that uh, I think it was fifth the 14-15 season or 15-16 where Chelsea was just atrocious. It was 15-16 when Hazard was just awful for a year and it got Mourinho fired and, and all that. I think Pulisic is just having a bad year and he is just not in the right headspace. And and I don't think it's a... Again, I, I know Timo's the easy choice, but at the end of the day, Tuchel also has pressure on the board to make Timo work. We saw this on every article that part of the reason Tuchel was a candidate was because he speaks German and he's a native German and he can get the best out of the the signings. Werner has gotten better. He's not scoring 12 goals a game, of course. Kai Havertz finally got a start. He looked fantastic. So the he's in a way gotten the bet. He's already made Werner better. And I think Werner's crappy better performances are still better than what Pulisic is putting out there. So I know as Americans, this is tough to swallow because the moment Pulisic comes back and, and it gets an international duty, he's going to do just fine. Because again, it's a different mentality. He knows who he is at the U.S. team. Right now, with the injury that occurred at the beginning of the season under Lampard when he was supposed to be an established starter and then not be able, not being able to find his footing since in, quote-unquote, the toughest league in the world, the guy's just trying to make something happen. But again, he's doing it in the wrong way. And I think that a full offseason and, and kind of taking himself out of this mental pressure will do a lot of of good for him. All right, we got another question. This one came in mid-recording, but don't worry, Leonard. We got your question. So this one's from at Leonard R. Cohen. Uh, huge, uh, was a huge friend of the pod, fellow uh, Rep Ultra. He asks, Dear Pod, a little while ago, I asked the pod to speculate on the possible transfer of AC Milan's goalkeeper, Gianluigi Donnarumma, to Chelsea the pods verdict was then nah bruh we got Mendy I ate oh, man that's pretty spot-on it sounds exactly like something I would say um, given the rumors of Chelsea's interest in Donnarumma persisting what are the pods thoughts today uh, I mean Mendy again I'm like he had a couple big saves today another clean sheet you know he hasn't been tested all that much but you know, he's, he's nearing 30 years old, so obviously he's not the long-term solution. And if if the team goes out and buys Donnarumma, I'm not going to be upset about that in any way. You know, like, if it's it, at the end of the day, it's not our decision, it's the board's decision, and I will be happy with that because that's definitely a long-term solution. How old is Donnarumma? He's been, like, 21 for the last 10 years, it seems like. I think he's literally 21 years old. <laughs> but, um how old is he? he's actually like 20 21 years old right yeah 22 now uh so obviously like i would not be opposed to it if it happens but in my opinion 
what I think will happen and what I would do if I were the board is I'd spend that money elsewhere because Donnarumma is going to cost a lot of money to bring him in. So, um, that I mean, that's where I sit. And, I mean, nah, bro, we got Mendy. I is pretty much the same uh, answer I have now. Nothing, not much has changed. <laughs> what do you think, Zach? I mean, if the opportunity presents itself, great, but... Yeah, I mean, I mean, my my opinion hasn't changed on it. I think Mendy hasn't done anything wrong, and we said it earlier in the pod. Seven clean sheets since Tuchel's been in charge. That's the most in the Premier League, as well as the defense has been doing. Let's not forget, Mendy's made some decent saves along the way. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't think it's necessary to go out and buy a hundred million pound goalkeeper. Unless he goes out there and says the only club I want to move to is Chelsea, then we have a different story. Well, I think we have a different story altogether, guys. This guy is out of contract at the end of the season. So we mm. wouldn't be paying a transfer fee. Period. Mm. So here's my true? take on oh. it. Yeah, his contract uh. is running out. That's why we're still persisting. Obviously, we need to get Kepa the hell out of the club for this to happen because you're not going to have two goalkeepers on major wages. But here's the way I see it. We signed Kai Havertz because you can't pass up on a talent like Kai Havertz when the opportunity is there. And yes, we have Mason Mount who had a fantastic breakout season, but you don't pass up on a talent that is going to be an upgrade. Mendy has been extremely serviceable. He is, again, leading Europe in clean sheets since Ducal's arrival. I fact-checked. By the way, I'm not just, just spinning this out of my, my ass kind of thing. But is Mendy the goalkeeper you buy to be? Let's put it this way. Liverpool was knocking at the door to, to be a title winner. They had gotten Virgil van Dijk, but they had, what's his name? K Loris Karius. Did Liverpool get Eduard Mendy or did they get Allison? I think it's one of those situations where if you're looking for one player to win you the league and and – be that immediate impact and, and and that sort of thing. Donnarumma is that guy over Edward Mendy. I think Edward Mendy, again, very serviceable goalkeeper. But you can be a very serviceable serviceable goalkeeper that plays the Carabao Cup, that plays the FA Cup. And Lord forgive something happens to this world-class keeper in Donnarumma, and you have a great guy ready to go that shouldn't be a, a huge, huge, huge downgrade to where you think you're going to lose games that you're winning beforehand because of the keeper position. So for me, if if signing Donnarumma means getting him at a, on good wages, because, again, I think he would immediately make more money than he was making in Italy, without having to pay too much of an agent fee, which could be tough because it is Mino Raiola, I think you try to do it. I don't think... I don't think he would walk in and and be superstar status because he won't have a big transfer with his name, and, and Mendy could fight for that spot. I mean, even Kepa got random starts just because he was performing in a cup game. So we talk about how fluid a starting 11 can be under Tuku and how he even rotates things like keepers. If we can get rid of Kepa and our keepers are now Donnarumma and Mendy, we're going to be well off for it. So, yes, Leonard, I'm changing my opinion. And if we can get Donnarumma on a free, I'm all for it. I, I can't believe uh, I'm such a terrible podcast host for not even being uh, in tune with that. The fact that his, he's on an expiring deal. 
That changes everything, of course. I mean, sure. I mean, I guess it doesn't change my answer that much because I still said if we got him, that would be, I'd be happy for that. You know, I would never be opposed. But, you know, I, t I, I removed the portion where I said, you know, I'd spend that money elsewhere because, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it, it, it's going to be like 150000 plus salary, like week, like wages for him. So we'll see. Um, let's let's uh let's move on to our leads preview um so next up leads away uh currently sitting in 11th place with 35 points um you know everyone knows patrick bamford former uh chelsea youth prodigy i wouldn't say prodigy but still um he uh this season he has 13 goals five assists he's been really really coming to his own this this season did he did he not score against us in our first leg in our first matchup i believe he did um so you know that's yeah, something obviously did. we got to look out for rafinha has also had a really good uh, season for them uh their big purchase from the summer five goals three uh, five assists um let's start off with uh ron's question uh he asked what lineup formation would you play against leeds would you try Pulisic, Kai, Cho, front three? Um, maybe he's he's suggesting this because he wants to see Pulisic in there as well. But I'm cool with this one. Let Timo Werner get a get a little bit of a rest. I mean, are we going to sit Mason Mount in two matches in a row, or will he play in that double pivot? Uh, Andreas, what, what do you think? I think we'll see most likely a front three of Cho, Kai, and Mount. Mount got a break this past match. I think that after how well Timo played against Liverpool and then he did all right here today, I think that he'll get the rest before Atletico. Mount got his rest against Everton, but you add someone like Cho, obviously we want to see Pulisic, and I think Pulisic will be the first sub off the bench for that front three. But you give Mount and Cho... Actually, let me start start back up. Cho only played 60-something minutes this match, so he's for sure starting in that front three. That name is already there. I think Kai can run another 90. Not not a full 90. Maybe he gets subbed out and you bring in Giroud or Tammy if he's healthy. But he needs to play in the false nine one more time before facing off against an Atletico side that should be a little bit more open than a six at the back. And then again, same thing with Mason Mount. I think he'll come back. The guy's a freaking engine. He already got... A, a bigger break today. I just can't see him not starting back-to-back -back games. So for me, it'll be that. And then you'll probably see Conte start instead of maybe uh, Jorginho or Kovacic to give one of them a break, whoever may be starting against uh, Atletico. But in terms of the front three, I still don't think Pulisic will be starting. Yeah, I think uh, I'd like to see Pulisic start in the front three. I mean, I'm, my gut's telling me that he that he might, um, but then again, we we haven't predicted one lineup that Tuchel's put out there. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of the back line, I I think this is a good game for Thiago Silva to get back in. I don't think shoehorning him into the Atletico game as his first match starting um, is the best idea. I know he's experienced and I know he can do it. He's capable of it, but I don't think it hurts to give him a game beforehand. Um, so ideally, I'd like to have Thiago in the middle. Um, we'll probably see Rudiger on the left, depending on uh, um, Zuma's knee 
then Dave back out on the right. I really like the look of Reese James at, at right wing back. Um, but against a team like Leeds, I have a feeling that that we might go with uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi and then put Chilwell on the left flank just so we can get that defensive balance. Um, they are high-pressing, so midfield, you, you'll probably have Conte there just so he can help break up play if they do win the ball. Um, maybe Kovacic. I don't think Jorginho would be favored in a game like this. Um, and then the front three? I'm probably going to say uh, Olivier Giroud gets a start. Um I think he could actually thrive in a game like this. He, he shined last time around. He was our best player on the pitch. So why not start him again? Um, I'd have Pulisic uh, playing um, on the left, and I would have Mason Mount playing on the right. Werner needs a rest. I think that's clear. But then again, at the same time, Kai Havertz plays. There's just selection headaches all over the place. Look, as long as Pulisic plays, I'll be happy. If he doesn't, I'll be happy if we win. Yeah, exactly. Is Either it, way, it, is that an American enough, like an an American Chelsea fan question? <laughs> that that's like, I don't think there's a more American Chelsea fan question. <laughs> exactly, that's what I'm saying. Or, he's or, like or trying to push to that. Yeah, he's just trying to push for Pulisic to start only because he's American. But I want him to start. But if we win, who gives a fuck? God, if we lose, I'll be back here next week complaining about it. Because <laughs> it's like. It's like Cho has been so good, I cannot see him sitting. And like I and but I could like Reese James's performance today at the right wing back spot was really good, but like I think Cho is better suited for that in my opinion. So Against you can Leeds, see them. There's gonna be so much space, and I think it's a matter of hitting that space quickly, and 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 Cho's gonna be perfect at that. Leeds leaves a lot of space in behind because they just they just commit all 11 players to this all-out press with no regard for the defense. So I think last time we played them, they were like plus seven goal differential, and now they're minus three. So we've kind of seen a drop-off <laughs> in their energy levels, which is expected. I mean, they've been playing twice a week for the last three months. So uh, hopefully that happens works in every season under yeah. Bielsa so far where it's they see thing. this weird dip in form in the second half of the season because these guys aren't machines. They're going to their bodies are taking toll for running like madmen for 90 minutes. So the, the Bielsa burnout, if you will. There you go. Trademarked on the Roman's Empire podcast. No one can steal it or else we'll sue <laughs> you. And we know a lawyer. Um, all right. Well, then let's get into our predictions on uh, no, Zach, sorry, you mentioned uh, all that space uh, that we're going to be seeing, the goal differential change. I mean, uh, it, it, it seems like it's set up to be a great outcome for us, but every I feel like whenever I get my bring my guard down, that's when Chelsea disappoints me the most. What do you think, Zach? I think we have too many players, um, too many clever players to not ink this one out considering the space we're going to get. So it's going to go completely against my starting 11 prediction. But if Kai Havertz plays, I think we win for sure. I think he's too the, – the spaces he was taking up against Everton were too good for him not to score against a team like Leeds. So I'm going to go 3-1 Chelsea. I think we get three goals. I do. Uh, the, they've been they've been terribly defensive. They've been terrible defensively, and they do leave a lot of space. So, Kai Havertz gets his goal, um, and we win three one. Andreas, 
Two nil Chelsea. Clean sheet. I love it. <laughs> and a quick and a quick prediction too. <laughs> no if and or I mean, buts. Two nil. I, no, I told you we we discussed this what two yeah. weeks ago where where we keep hoping for us to score five goals, but we're just not there. We're not that team. Hey, I think two. Zach said three. It. Okay, give him give him. Uh, no, no, no. But, but two weeks ago, <laughs> you talked about how we always think like, oh, next week yeah. the floodgates will open. Next week, yeah. today the floodgates should have opened against Tottenham when it was only one nil. The floodgates should have opened <laughs> against Liverpool. We could have scored more than one goal. So I'm I'm done predicting more than two goals until I see it. This so is I'm it, gonna go floodgates open. Nil nil draw. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I have been, I have been, I have been predicting nil nil draws recently, and we haven't lost since then. Um, so, no, actually this time I'm think I I like your prediction, Zach. Three nil. I think this is the game where we end up scoring three goals. I mean, three goals is not like us opening up the floodgates. Like we should have had, we could have easily had three goals today. So, so see your prediction saying that we get a shutout. Zach is saying we're conceding our second goal to an opposing you player. You said three one. Yeah. No, we're they're not scoring on us. That that's not happening. That's not what I'm worried about. I'm I'm worried about us scoring three nil. I'm the most confident. Damn. Damn it. That that always turns out poorly. <laughs> that always turns out poorly. Oh shit. Okay. Uh... Someone quick. Someone change a prediction. Four nil. Five nil. Someone. Three nil. Okay, cool. I'm tied for the best. Thirteen nil. Cool. Oh, thank you, Andreas. Some this someone is the number some of shots in. on target we're oh. gonna have, but we're still gonna <laughs> score two goals. I'll change it to nine nil. I think we're gonna give him a classic Hasenhudel type fisting. Hasenhudel. Yeah. Or yeah, they're gonna receive a Hasenhudel type yeah. fisting. Poor yeah. guy. I still feel bad for him. But anyways, I mean. <laughs> That is the end of this episode, guys. It's it, it's good to be back. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're still unbeaten, man. So we do have leads coming up this Saturday. Make sure you watch that game. And um, at the end of the week, or at the end of the weekend, rather, we will be recording a new pod. So um, if you're interested in getting your question on the show, uh, look out for our questions tweet. We tweet it out after every single uh, match that we play. You can also just send us a tweet and say, hey, do you mind including this on the podcast? That might be a good idea. Um, if you're not following us on Twitter, our, our uh, handle at Romans Empire Pod. We're also available via email, RomansEmpirePod at gmail.com if you want to reach out. We'd love, uh, we'd love for you to say hello. And until next week, keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>